0: White
1: Sox Weekly, your two hour all access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? This presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White
2: Sox Network is brought to you by Wind Trust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now, here's your host, Connor McKnight.
3: So welcome into White Sox Weekly. A happy Saturday morning to you, the 26th of June. And from Guaranteed Rate Field, I'm Connor McKnight. We've got good news for you right off the top of things. At the very least, and right now, Roger Bossard and the ground crew have the tarp being rolled up out in left field. That's a good thing. Hopefully we've got some White Sox baseball on the way. It's no secret that the forecast. Uh, Over the weekend here in Chicago looks uh, a little dark, a little gloomy. There's certainly some clouds moving through and the lights are on at the ballpark now, but it looks like, at least to me, the amateur radar man and weather guy that I am, or at the very least, uh, a human being who knows how to download a weather app onto his phone, uh, it looks like we might be all right. It looks like we could be okay for a 110 start this afternoon. Uh, that is certainly the hope here at the ballpark, and the White Sox would love to get it rolling here at Guaranteed Rayfield. Field. It's been a tough last week for the Sox, even though, and we're going to get into the, the week that was here to start the show, uh, even though there are a couple of positives, there have been some trends in directions that the White Sox would love to reverse. Let me let you know what's going on on the show this morning. White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz is going to be our first guest. We'll uh, talk with him at 1045 here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. We get checked in with Ethan on, you know, all things White Sox pitching staff, top to bottom from Lucas down to Jose Ruiz, all that kind of stuff. Oh, or I guess Brian Burr was the last guy added to the White Sox roster in terms of the pen. He and Zach Birdie both. Um, but also uh, about the biggest story going around in Major League Baseball. It's not just where the White Sox are right now. Uh that's not just our lead story here on White Sox Weekly, but of course, you know, the biggest story in baseball is how pitchers are adapting or not to the new rules around foreign substances in the league. It's a big story. It is affecting baseball in ways we can see and can't see and ways we'd rather just not see like Sergio Romo of the uh, the pitcher tried to take his pants off as he was getting inspected for foreign substances just the other night. Uh, some things you just you didn't need to see on a diamond. You thought Steve Lyons was enough. And then it was Sergio Romo years later. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to talk Sox, we're the place to do it. Like I said, we'll have Ethan Katz joining the show uh, in just a couple of minutes. 1045. We'll talk with White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. So... Here's where we were the last time, or here's what's happened, I guess, since the last time we talked here on White Sox Weekly. The Sox have gone one and four since our last show. Two off days, of course, helps things. Monday and Thursday off days for the White Sox, and they needed them. They've gotten one run against the one win rather against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They started off 0 and one here on the homestand against the Mariners, losing last night nine to three. The Sox are 44 and 31. They have a two game lead on the AL Central over the Cleveland Indians. I'm setting all this up for a reason. you know, nobody's here to pull wool over anybody's eyes one way or the other, but keep in mind where this team is as we talk about where it needs to go. And I think that's going to be a little bit of the focus here on the show this morning. The White Sox have a plus 80 run differential. That's the second highest total in the American League. It's the fifth highest total in all of baseball. This team is one that is struggling offensively in the month of June. It's one that has had a couple of uh, a couple of pitchers I guess have back to earth performances. You know, I don't know anyone's Cratering it necessarily, and certainly there are some starters who had gotten off to starters and relievers who had gotten off to good starts to the year 2021 around baseball, and have since you know definitely gotten close to cratering. The White Sox don't have anybody who fits that criteria, but there have been some performances that are a little more you know normal or middle of the road given player projections. You think of Carlos Rodon's start last night; he battled against a Mariners lineup that was uh, fairly difficult to pitch against last night. Five innings, three runs. Eight strikeouts, it's not a quality start. It's an inning away, and I don't think anybody would say that Carlos's start last night was a bad one. It's just when you waltz into a home ballpark with a 1.8-something ERA, obviously you've thrown better than five innings, three earned eight strikeouts over the course of the year. What has happened for the Sox offensively is that big-time names have struggled in the month of June. And I think White Sox fans have seen it uh, pretty obviously and, and apparently in the last couple of weeks or in this month of June. You know, Jose Abreu has had a tough go, and I, I think injuries, I think some nagging things have, have you know, popped up for him. Joan Mancada uh, obviously went through a sinus infection. As the Tampa Bay Rays were here just a couple of weeks ago, he missed each one of those games, despite the fact that the White Sox won each one of those. But I don't know that he's playing it necessarily a hundred percent either. Tony the is going to talk to reporters uh, in a little bit here this morning, leading up to uh, a one ten start at Guaranteed Rate Field against the Mariners. Johan seemed to roll his ankle a little bit uh, on a last uh, in a swing. In his last at-bat against the Mariners last night, he was diving out for a breaking ball, kind of rolled over on top of it. Tony in last night's post-game show said they'll be checking on Yoan uh, this morning and making sure that there's no swelling and he's able to play on it. But this is a team that is, it's banged up. I was looking through the depth chart, and I just kind of did this as like a, I don't know, an exercise for myself, right? I looked through the 14 Outfielders that are on the White Sox forty-man roster. Now, a number of them are injured, and some of them are in the minors. And one of them is an infielder that plays a lot of outfield. But if you look through and kind of power-ranked the outfielders for the White Sox, here's what I'd come up with of those fourteen: Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, Adam Engel, and Adam Eaton. In in any mix, are your one, two, three, and four ranked outfielders probably so you're putting in the power rankings, right? All of those guys are currently injured. Leury Garcia is probably your fifth best outfielder. He's there, and thank goodness he's playing through the bruised knee and a couple of injuries that he's had. Because not only has he had to fill in in the outfield at all three different spots, but he's also had to play a good deal of second base with Nick Madrigal on the injured list for the rest of the season. Billy Hamilton's probably your sixth best outfielder. He's injured right now with an oblique strain. Brian Goodwin, who you brought in, uh, after he was let go by the Pirates, 7, 8 and 9, probably Andrew Vaughn and Jake Lamb, Danny Mendick, probably 10th, and Luis Gonzalez, who just got called up to fill in for Adam Engel, probably 11th. The White Sox have five of their top six outfielders out. That's a difficult place to be in any organization. And if you're doing that while, you know, some of the big guns like Yohan, uh, Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson are struggling a bit in this month, you're going to get some of the offensive performances, or I, I guess some of the offensive uh, draggers that you've seen over the last week and a half of baseball. They've also gone up against a really good Houston Astros team. I, I think you know, you, you kind of saw some things laid out in that series against the Houston Astros. And, and I think it's helpful to remember that even though that series went 0 for 4 for the White Sox, the Sox walked in there, you know, kind of scuffling some and a little bit banged up. I, I just mean from individual performance wise. I know they went in with a couple of wins. Um, but they faced a, a Houston Astros team that has had been rocketing up performance wise and record wise, and has continued to do so. That's a really good offense, one that's gonna put up a, a big fight regardless of of who they're playing against. The Pirates have been playing pretty decent baseball, and you could see why, too. I'm not saying the Pirates are a great team by any stretch, but you could see why when we talk about, and we will this uh, this morning here on White Sox Weekly, talk about trade rumors. You could see why just about everybody in the top four, top five of their lineup are guys that teams would love to go pick up. They may not all of them be impact players, but guys like Adam Frazier and Brian Reynolds, if the Pirates were to move them, could certainly help out a squad who wanted a little help on offense. So, all that said, you know, as the White Sox try and, you know, essentially tread water here for a little while uh, until Jose Abreu, Joan Mancata, Tim Anderson, guys like that, get themselves back together and start. You know, being the dudes that that the White Sox know and trust that they will be, that that them they themselves know and trust that they will be, I I think this month of June could be, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, the the dog days of August. Maybe they've come a little bit early. Maybe it's not going to be just August. And I I think this trade deadline too is it, it approaches a little more slowly than I know some fans would like. I I think it's going to be something that can. Um, reinvigorate maybe a, a clubhouse or a lineup, or maybe throw in an extra dynamic one way or the other. Remember, too, as big a story as any of that is going to be the potential return of, of any one of those two outfielders, Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, as they come back from their injuries, as they rehab those uh, and get into minor league assignments. That could be happening in the next couple of weeks for at least Aloy. I know the news on Luis Robert is, is still forthcoming, and we're not exactly sure where that's at yet. Uh, but those could be big additions to a team that could use a couple of bats, and the White Sox are certainly keeping that in mind as you look in any trade conversations. We'll hear from Ethan Katz when we come back. White Sox pitching coach is going to join us in just a couple of minutes here on White Sox Weekly. I want to let you know that the, uh, the White Sox and Guaranteed Rate Field, everybody here at the ballpark is absolutely thrilled to have Everyone back who can be here. They're back to 100% capacity at the ballpark. It was a packed crowd last night, well over 30,000. Had the atmosphere, the electricity, the noise, the whole thing. Tons of fun to see everybody out here. When The White Sox got a couple of big hits or a couple of big strikeouts. This place was absolutely buzzing, and it has been all season long, but you know, now getting back to 100%, it's been even more fun. You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field uh, Thursday, July 1st, as the White Sox take on the Minnesota Twins at 1.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive an old-school White Sox t-shirt presented by Cooper Tires. Single-game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at whitesox.com promos. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz will be our guest. Don't go anywhere. you got White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Hey, parents, you can visit the Xfinity Kid Zone overlooking left field and have your future major leaguer test their pitching, batting, and base running skills with White Sox youth coaches. And while you're there, you can check out how Xfinity keeps you connected no matter to your White Sox no matter where you watch. Xfinity, the fastest internet in Chicago. Joining us now on White Sox Weekly is White Sox pitching coach Ethan at Katz. Ethan, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you chiming in. Uh, good morning to you.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely. You know, Ethan, we talked uh, I don't know, a handful of weeks ago, probably five, six weeks ago, something like that, Um, And I believe it was right after Carlos Rodon had thrown a gem. I know that doesn't narrow it down, because there's been a handful of gems for Carlos this season. Last night was a bit of a battle for him. The conditions were a little uh, gross and muggy. It just kind of looked like it was a a tough night to pitch in, and yet he battled through like he has pretty much all season.
4: Yeah, I mean, yesterday was, for him, I mean, it wasn't, you know, the sharpest um, he's been. But, you know got through five innings kept us in the ball game um, he did a
3: nice job with that when when you've got Carlos the way he's been pitching lately uh, last three times through something like that but you know that the schedule is is gonna make him go on quote unquote regular rest and that's something that you guys want to make sure you keep an eye on what are the conversations like with him as those starts you know come around on an every fifth day basis? Um, it's just, you know,
4: kind of seeing how he's feeling physically. Um, you know, basically, you know, going into this next, he had seven days. Now he's going to go on a five day. So finding ways to be able to, you know, give him little breathers, um, cutting down his bullpens, um, and, and the catch in between just maybe doing a little bit less. So we we just got to monitor, see how he's feeling every day. Uh, it's a conversation about where are you at and then what, what are we, how do we want to attack each day?
3: I would guess that each one of your starters and and guys in the bullpen have been on teams where the offense goes a little short. And it's a little harder to score runs at times. This isn't new to any one of those guys, whether it's high school or college or minor league ball. But is there a conversation that happens, you know, from in the bullpen or as you guys get ready in your pitchers and catchers meetings about? hey, this this offense, we haven't hit a lot yet, so it's not that you have to be perfect. We just have to pitch our game. Yeah, I mean,
4: it, you know, our offense is it's a really good offense. Um, we lost some key guys, but it, it's still a very strong offense. But the one thing we don't want to do on, on the pitching staff is at any point, no matter how good our offense is going, struggling, it doesn't matter. We, we really don't want to let the other team jump on us first. Uh, that's basically the main thing we really try to focus on. Because at, at any point when another team, they start to create mom, some momentum. So we want to be able to be the first to jump on a team. But, you know, we don't really talk about what is our offense, offense doing or how's it going because, you know, we're all in this together. And they know that they have to be able to uh, do their part and make pitches and get outs and, and be efficient.
3: How do you think the last week has gone around baseball? How much do you check in on, uh, in or with, some of your peers around the game about the new rules and enforcement policy that's been put in place regarding foreign substances on the baseball?
4: Honestly, we don't. It hasn't spent much time like with anybody. I mean, at first, everyone was wondering what it would look like. Um, we saw, you know, the Suresh incident. Um, talked to that a little bit. You know, just basically informing them what what's expected, but so far, it's gone smoothly um, with how they do it. It's, it doesn't take too much time, and, and the players have been fine. You know, They have nothing to hide, so it's just like, come on, let's just get this over with and move on.
3: Is, is there a way to take a lighter tack toward things? I mean, is there a way to maybe go in and say, guys, you, you don't have to remove any parts of your clothing. Uh, you don't have to do anything that Max did. They just want the glove and the belt and, and the hat, maybe?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think every... I think every player, um, you know, it, it's how it's all played out. It's kind of, this is what we're going to do. There's a hard line, and and I think guys are trying to adjust. I think some guys are a little bit more unhappy than others, and it's it's part of it. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting if, you know, if other teams call it other teams and, and how that plays out because that's going to really irritate other pitchers because the flow of the game and, and trying to break up rhythm. But, you know, for the most part, it's just it's our new norm, and, Everyone just has to adapt.
3: Does it put any more pressure on a on a coaching staff if if you were to hypothetically see something down the line from another team? I mean, now that we're in an era where it's 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 pretty hardcore the enforcement wise, I, I just wonder if you you did see something, if you should see something, do you want to bring that up to the umpire more than before? Um, possibly.
4: Um, I get very entrenched with. Um, our sequencing and pitches and, and what we're going to do the next inning. So I don't really, at times I'll be able to watch our offense, but I'm, I'm more locked in on preparing for the next inning. So I would let our other coaches kind of focus in on that more so than, than myself because I'm, I'm dealing with the, what's coming next and thinking about the process of who, who, want, who might come in the game and moves other team might make and stuff like that.
3: Talking with White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, was looking back at, at Dylan Cease's last start. You know, obviously that things kind of bunched up on him in one inning, and I wonder if I wonder if there's a teaching point for a pitcher who has you know that one inning, whether it's the third or the fourth, whatever inning it is, where where things start to bunch up on him, where traffic starts to accumulate, and he's got to work around it, but is otherwise fine. Is that a is that a commonality that you've seen between pitchers? Is there something that's teachable about that sp- specific issue? Yeah, I mean, there's.
4: I mean, I look at every game, every op- every time a guy has an opportunity to go out there and throw. There's there's always a, a teaching point um, or something that you can take away from it. I mean, for Dylan, it's it's been a lot of that this year. I, th- I still see a lot of development and growth, um, and he's he's answered the bell every single time. You know, something's been thrown his way, but I think going through those. You know, in Houston, it was it was a it was a really tough atmosphere. It was a playoff environment, and you know he's going to be better for what he had to go through out there. And there was a lot of things we were able to talk about to get him better prepared for the next time this might happen.
3: What's the conversation with um, a guy like Zach Birdie who last night blows ninety seven past two guys and looks like the the Zach Birdie pre injury kind of thing, and then. You know, has one get away from him and and gives up a long ball? Is that a is that a check in kind of day or is it you know let him work his own stuff out? Let him you know kind of roll and we'll check in with him later on.
4: No, I mean there's there was stuff that we already reviewed this this morning about um, some stuff that we need to kind of just make a little adjustment with. Um, it's it's nonstop. Um, like I said, every every game there's a new opportunity, and if something comes up that we see that can help benefit our guys, we'll, we'll definitely review. And you know, try to work on that to make us better for the next time they go out there.
3: Do you guys have a, a complete review of Michael Kopech's sim game yesterday, the way you would any other outing? I saw all the, all the, I think all the technology out there behind the cage as, as he was throwing. Was that a, was that as big a technological setup as a as a typical start would be? Uh, similar.
4: The you know, we had our trackman out there. We had all. Um, everything else rolling, so yeah. I mean, it was. We wanted to try to create an environment that was game-like for him, but also have get all the information back too to make sure you know he's on track with everything with the time he's missed. So it, it was, you know, the t- 26 pitches. He looked great, and he's going to do another one on Monday, and we'll go from there.
3: What's most important to you as it regards that that sim game, Ethan? Is it just how he feels today, this morning, this afternoon, or are th- are the numbers as important?
4: Uh, all of the above. I mean, okay. first and foremost, how he feels. I mean, he has to feel comfortable being able to go out there and compete at a big league game and making sure that there, he's not favoring his hamstring and, and doing anything. So that's where the numbers can kind of come in and assist and make sure that he's staying on par, You know, make sure the velocity is where it needs to be, the shapes of his pitches. Um, but it, it, first and foremost, it's all about him and making sure that he could put this behind him, and he can go out there and compete at a high level.
3: I would imagine that when you've got an athlete like him, he's wanting to stay away from minor league rehab time or minor league, uh, you know, brush off the rust time as much as anybody else. Will you guys make that determination only after the second sim sim game?
4: Yeah, I mean, it, the, he was really sharp yesterday. It was very encouraging um, to watch him throw. The pitches were were great. I mean, it's just. You know, he just got to, He hasn't faced hitters in, in close to a month, so you want to make sure you put him in the right situation to succeed, not just throw him out there to throw him out there. And also mentally with, the, with what he went through to make sure that he's able to go out there and, and compete and not have to think about his leg, but think about getting hitters out in the box.
3: Does his availability change any after the injury? Does he become a different sort of bullpen weapon than he had been in the first two months?
4: No, I think, I think the plan is, is definitely still the same. The only thing is, we have to do is make sure that he's built up properly. So, you know, he can't go out there his first outing and go three innings. It's going to probably be one inning. Okay, monitor how that goes, maybe a one plus, and, and just kind of slowly get him back integrated to everything and get his multiple ups and, you know, go back to back possibly and then kind of go from there. Um, but it, he's going to be doing the same stuff. It's just we just got to incorporate him Um, as tolerated.
3: Ethan, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for the insight. Uh, We'll talk again soon. Good luck this afternoon against the Mariners.
4: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
3: You got it. That's White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. Good to know. A couple of things there on the Michael Kopech front, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he hasn't had to have Any kind of meetings with White Sox pitchers about how much needs to come off of the uniform as they get checked for substances in this new policy era of Major League Baseball. we got more White Sox Weekly. Tons to do yet here on the show. We'll have Len Asks in a little while. We'll check in on some of the trade rumors in and around baseball. I want to go over some of the latest playoff odds from a spot like Fangraphs when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. You can spend your summer at the ballpark with bleachers and brews. You get one ticket and two beers starting at 25 bucks. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. Bleachers and brews is presented by Budweiser to purchase tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com slash brew. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Mariners coming up a little bit later this afternoon the hope is we can start on time yes there's a little bit of rain in the forecast but it was just uh, hearing from folk around the ballpark and it does sound like we've we've got a, a good hope of starting on time there's a window as they say there's always a window uh, White sox couple of pitchers getting loose and just moving around here out in left field this morning at Guaranteed Rate Field. Just got off the horn with uh, Ethan Katz. A couple of things I want to rehash from our interview with Ethan in just a little bit. So I asked White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz about Michael Kopech's sim game yesterday. He echoed the sentiments of Tony La Russa, saying everything looked just really great. I mean, really, really good stuff from Kopech yesterday. That's uh, you know, it's not me saying it, although I did watch some of it. He did look like the same old Michael Kopech, but... Uh, it, it looked like, I guess the readings came out solid on the track band they had set up. Uh, sounds like Kopeck felt pretty good afterward. The plan is for Michael Kopech to throw another sim game on Monday. and Assuming all of that goes well, the determination will be made on whether he'll go out to a minor league rehab. Assignment for a couple of days, a couple of outings, a couple of ups and downs. Um, it's getting up and getting down, not that he needs to go through ups and downs necessarily. Kopek, also, uh, you know, I asked Ethan about this too. I, I kind of wanted to know whether, because of the hamstring issue that had popped up for him and is, you know, starting to really clear up here as he threw the sim game yesterday, Kopeck had been the most versatile guy in the White Sox pitching infrastructure. You know, I, I didn't want to call him either a starter or a reliever here because he's done both. It's been important that he's done both. And when you really think about the, you know, the weather that came through in the White Sox schedule in the first two months of the season, there were a bunch of double headers. Michael Kopech started a handful, and if not for that kind of versatility, things would have, you know, just roster moves would have had to look so much different for the White Sox there. But Kopech was able to step up and handle a couple of those. I asked Ethan whether or not he's able to be. Uh, Kopech is, the same kind of guy, the same kind of um, versatile pitcher for the Sox going forward. And he said, yeah, that is the expectation. Now, it's not going to happen all at once when Kopech comes back to the roster. Uh, the first outing will probably be on the inning. And then there will be a couple of days where they wait, reevaluate, and make sure and start to stretch him out a little bit more in-game play. And I think it's worth noting here that You know, the the sim game will be, it's good quality work, and he'll throw another on Monday. Uh, But there's nothing like facing live hitters. There's nothing like facing guys who are looking to take swings that hurt the baseball. Uh, That matters. There's a different mindset there. There's a different kind of, um, I I would guess, lack of control that you're going to have to experience, even though Kopeck's a guy who looks so in control of so many different outings that he's had. Um, But there's a little bit of of, uh, this other guy's trying to do damage. And you've got to kind of experience that and go through that. That'll be the next step for Kopech. Um, Regardless of whether it comes in a minor league or major league level, that'll be that next step. White Sox lineup is out for the game against the Mariners this afternoon. Uh, I was just looking over things because, and you'll hear it in just a minute, because Tony La Russa talked a lot last night about Jose Abreu and the shape and situation that he's been in over the last couple of days. Jose is in the lineup for this afternoon's game. Tim Anderson's going to lead off, he'll play short. Brian Goodwin is in center field, he's batting 2. Yohan Mankata's is at third base, batting 3. Jose Abreu is at first base and batting 4. Yasmani Grandal, who has been the hottest stick in the White Sox lineup in the month of June, is batting 5. He'll catch Jake Lamb is in left your mean Mercedes will DH. Larry Garcia's got second base today, batting eight. And Luis Gonzalez gets a start in right field. He bats nine. Last night, after the Sox lost to the Mariners, 9-3, Tony La Russa uh, spent some time talking about Jose Abreu, where he's at, where he's been over the last couple of weeks. Here's uh, here's the manager after last night's game against the Mariners.
1: You know, he's so hard-nosed about playing with whatever sore. There's a... Uh hurt and sore, you know, sure seems to me that he's got, you know, he's dealing with some pain issues that he wants to play through. Now we're going to talk to him about, you know, there's still three plus months to go. And, uh, you know, at some point, you know, is it better to, you know, just to back off a little bit if, if, you Can identify what's sore and what we can, so I, it just seems to me that he's and a lot of guys are watching, you know, the atypical kind of stuff for him and passing. I, I, I wouldn't he's got some aches, and uh, so we're gonna talk to him, do the right thing by him, that's for sure.
2: And uh, by that, Tony, um, maybe uh, DHing him more often, even though he's. One of the best first basemen in the game, and you need him out there. But you need uh, you need him, as you said, for the next three months as
1: well. Yeah, a, absolutely. Uh, if if he's able to uh, to DH, just having him in the lineup is if he's if he's himself, you know, that's uh, that would be a possibility. I mean, like the next two days, you know, Yaz is going to catch, so I was going to you know, probably DH or mean, but. If, uh if that would help him do it in a minute move into the first base just uh following up on that uh you know he's and just to make sure that i yeah this is me just looking and and maybe and saying maybe you know because it, you could tell you know he's his base you know when, when he swings it's not quite the same but we all know i mean you guys know it longer than i do now i know it you know he's uh, he's very tough about going out there and, and playing. So he's dealt with stuff like this before. So the the key is, you know, how sore is he, and he can play through it like he always has. If this is something, it'd be better to kind of back him off, whether it's DHing or give him a couple of days. I, you know I'm, I'm just speculating. It's it's amusing uh, observational analytics.
2: So I guess is it kind of like a you mentioned his base is it kind of like a leg soreness thing he's dealing
1: with? I mean, who knows? I mean, that's where it starts. But you go up, you know, maybe there may be other parts of him that are sore. You know, hands. I I don't know. That's why it's now that I'm getting into it, I'm 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 regretting it a little bit, not a lot. Uh, You know, I know I know what I'm. I was going to say about him, but if I try to get too specific, other than just just doesn't look right, and let's just look try to figure out why. It's White Sox
3: manager Tony the Rusa after last night's game, and I, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Tony mentioned I, I'm kind of saying more than I felt like saying, but I think that's it's really valuable, interesting stuff because it's it's not as though he's afraid to say what he did. Far from, but what you see there is kind of the inner thoughts of how what a manager thinks about, you know, kind of the the depths he's going to after a ball game. Uh, Jose Abreu's in the lineup today and playing first base. He said this morning, Tony did that while he's sore, he's not hurt. That's the key. That's very different. And Johan Mancata is going to play at third base today as well. He rolled the ankle just a little bit in last night's loss. He took a, a swing on a breaking ball that was away and kind of you know, folded over on that ankle. I've done that before. It's it's not fun. Uh, but in that same at-bat, he rolled a two-RBI single out to right field, so he was none the worse for wear there. Training staff came out, took a look at him at first base for a little while. He stayed in the game. He's starting today's game at third base and batting three as well. Uh, back to the, you know, Tony talking about Jose Abreu here. I, I think it's valuable to know. You know, he said, "I'm just speculating here," and obviously his speculation is well informed and matters a lot more than anybody else's on this team. He's the skipper, but it's valuable, I think, to kind of know what he goes through after a game when he's thinking about the care and protection of his players. You know, would he love to DH Jose Abreu a couple of times more often? Yeah, It kind of sounds like that's not a terrible idea from his perspective right now. It's difficult, though, to take a bat like that out of the lineup and get him a full day, especially uh, as the White Sox are looking for runs. Abreu's a guy who, well, we've all seen it before, can click it on. Uh, the month of August and September for Jose, historically speaking, has been very very good. July's also been good to him. And and really, you know, over the course of his career, June, July ha- has been pretty good to him too. That's not a real surprise. I mean, the guy's been a darn good ball player for a long time. You put together months like that and that earns you things like, Oh, I don't know the 2020 AL MVP, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but Jose's been a guy, historically speaking, who takes four or five weeks to really get himself going, get himself comfortable in the box. And, you know, good weather helps hitting as well. Um, and then flight of the ball and everything like that. But this lineup, you know, as it sits right now, as I'm you know, literally looking at it for today's game, you know, it needs Yohan and it needs Jose. Thankfully, Yasmani Grandal has had a great role over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think twofold, two things about the, um, I don't know, re-emergence, I guess, of Yasmani Grandal as a force behind the plate, he'd gotten off to to such a strange start. And I guess, in a real way, the season that he's having is still strange, right? It's a 175 batting average and a 385 on-base percentage so far this season. That split of of over 200 points between average and on-base percentage is wild. I mean, it really is absolutely wild. Especially when you consider that the batting average below 200 at 175 is where it is. He has, so far on this year, spawning grandall 28 hits. 12 of them are home runs. That's wild. That's absolutely crazy. Grandall has been so big for this White Sox offense in a lot of different ways. The, on, uh, the OPS for him at 804... Uh, is not a career high, but you know he's posted numbers in the 848 range, in the 816 range, uh, 773 for the White Sox in 2020, his first year here on the South Side. You can see the kind of piece that that he'll be in this lineup when all things are moving around. And the unfortunate part, and this really is just you know, it's 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 nobody's fault. But with Grandal being a catcher, when he walks it's a little bit more difficult to bring him in from the bases, right? I mean, you need extra base hits to bring in a guy that's on second with his speed, perhaps, instead of just a single to score him from second base at times. Um, that's a good problem to have because you need a guy on base in order to score one. I mean, home runs, obviously, but you know, still, the guy on base, he hit the home run, he brings him in, that's two instead of one. I, we know how that works. The on-base percentage is key. It's, it's been clutch here at times. And he's come up with some big hits in big situations, too. Uh, I think Lennon DJ gave Grand yes, Grandal the Player of the Game Award in uh, two games of that Astros sweep, or the sweep at the hands of the Astros, and he got it again in the, one of the games against the Pirates, too, with the three-run pinch-hit homer. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back, I mentioned I wanted to take a look at the FanGraphs playoff odds. We've got Len asks as well. You know the drill on Saturday. Instead of you getting to ask a question to either Len Casper or Darren Jackson on our broadcast this afternoon. Len is going to ask you a question. I've not heard it yet. We'll answer it together when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. You got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Mariners coming up here at Guaranteed Rate Field. The ballpark is back open to 100% capacity. Awesome to see everybody out at the park last night. I'm just kind of scrolling through White Sox Twitter right now, and it looks like there are a lot of you around the ballpark, hanging out and getting ready for today's game. Great to see you all. Hope you have us on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network at the car, just kind of as you're hanging out and getting ready to come on in. It's a one first pitch. Looks like we've got a window. The White Sox are expecting to start on time against the M's this afternoon. Lance Lynn gets the start for the Sox, and it's Logan Gilbert on the hill for the Mariners. Jose Abreu and Yoan Moncada both at third base and first, of course, their usual positions are in the lineup for the White Sox today. There was a lot of conversation from Tony La Russa. We just played a little bit of it on the uh, on the show before the break about whether Jose or Yoan would be able to go today. Looks like they both are because they're both in the lineup. We uh, we play Len asks on Saturdays for White Sox Weekly. It's a chance for Len Casper to ask you a question. I have not heard what this is. I like to play along with three one two three three two. 3776 is the phone number if you've got an answer uh, after Len asks we want to hear from you on White Sox Weekly give us a ring so here it is without any further ado the play by play man of the Chicago White Sox Len Casper has a question for you
1: hey everybody it's Len asks today and with guaranteed rate field having full capacity what is your ideal seat location for a White Sox game Regardless of price, whether you've ever sat in these seats or not, where do you envision the best possible spot to watch a game? Front row behind home plate, maybe right next to the dugout near the on deck circle. How about front row of the upper deck so you get more of a panoramic view, kind of our view from the broadcast booth? Just curious where you think the ideal seat location is for a ball game.
3: Ooh, Len Casper with a good question here for Len asks on a uh, good question. I'm gonna fire that up on the show later this week. Uh, it's a solid one though. Guaranteed Rate does not have too many bad sight lines. and I know everybody packed into the uh, parking lots right now would agree. I, you know, I like sitting out in the bleachers every now and again. You know, a good summer day with some sun and a little bit of shade. I enjoy that. It's a, it's a very communal place to watch a ball game. I think it Brooks Boyer says this quite often about the ballpark, and he's hundred percent right, and I had never really kind of put it together about about what it was that makes me like this park as much as I do. You get a chance in this ballpark, and there are others like this around the game, but in this one specifically, you can take the whole walk around the concourse and you don't lose sight of the ball game. In others, you know, you get this. Under, you have to go under, perhaps, or you get this. Uh, you have to go uh, inside in some places, or in some others, you can't even walk. You know, from the outfield bleacher seats or in, into the rest of the park, it's disconnected from the rest of the s- facilities. So here at Guaranteed Rate Field, you get to take the walk around, and I've always liked. You know, sometimes y- you sit behind home plate or you know, you get the real nice scout seats or something like that. You don't get up and do the whole walk around the park. You don't even get into the outfield um, and perhaps wander around to get yourself a Comiskey burger or a giant root beer float the size of a, a small toddler uh, out there in right center field which you can here at the ballpark. I'm not saying I have. It's been a while. I'm just saying that you can. For me though I guess my favorite seats I, I love behind home plate I, I like just a little bit of angle one way or the other to try and get uh, the the umpire and catcher out of the way of the pitch coming through just a little bit, just one side of the other, just a touch. If I had my druthers, that's where I'd sit for a ball game. Incredibly lucky to sit where I where I do for these now, but would love to know where you think the best seats are here at Guaranteed Rate Field three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the question that Len had for you. Uh, on Len asks, we'll ask James Feagan that question at noon. Although he's got a pretty good seat for ball games here. He's going to join us uh, at noon, get his perspective on the White Sox. He, of course, the athletic beat writer for the White Sox. Uh, Tony La Russa spoke with reporters earlier today. Uh, bulk of the conversation centering around Jose and Yoan getting back into the lineup, getting back, being in the lineup today after a couple of nicks and bruises for both ballplayers. I mentioned, I, I wanted to look through the, the playoff odds, or at least share them with you if you haven't seen them lately. I just, you know, we're getting into this point of the season where, these numbers matter to me in as much as here's what teams we know, or at least we think we know, are going to be buying when we get to the trade deadline in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to see, and I always am this time of year, I, I think I've mentioned it on White Sox Weekly a couple of times, obviously there's nothing better than when your team is in the playoffs, right? That's the best time of the year In baseball, your team in the playoffs, that's a number one. But you're not guaranteed that every season as a fan. I think the White Sox are headed that way for what it's worth. Uh, But regardless of what team you're a fan of, you're not always promised that going into a year. So knowing that, my favorite time of the baseball season is, it's like right now or a week from now. As the trade deadline really starts to pick up, I love the possibility of trade rumors you know i'm i'm a guy who grew up you know my era was you know watching baseball and then you know playing video games playing baseball video games and making those moves making those trades that's how i really got into uh baseball as a as a passion is having that little bit of feeling what it would like to run a team make those decisions and have to you know have to evaluate those transactions and whether it's worth giving up this guy for that guy or making the long play or the or the short-term play and really adding to make a playoff run. I, I love that stuff. It's, it's absolutely my favorite time of year. So I, I use the playoff odds and I present them to you that way to just kind of think about, okay, here's what we know. Here's what we think we know. Here's who's positioned to go ahead and add what do they need so the White Sox can perhaps position themselves in a market as well. I found it interesting, and this is after you know the week the White Sox have had—the one and four stretch against the Houston. Just mean you know since we last talked, obviously they lost all four to the Astros. Uh, but the White Sox have the fourth best playoff odds in baseball, according to Fangraphs playoff projections. They're an eighty-two point three percent chance to make the playoffs. Obviously, divisional strength goes into that, and who you're playing against, and who's you know at the bottom of your division too—that all matters. But the White Sox also have a 9% chance to win the World Series, according to FanGraphs. That's the fifth best in baseball. That's with everything that's gone on. The Dodgers, the Astros, the Padres, and the Giants. Man, that Giants team is absolutely wild. And I am, for one, as happy as anybody else to see Buster Posey back and hitting for power in this game after he sat out last year uh, due to COVID concerns. Those are your top four teams, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Padres, the Giants, to make the playoffs. The Dodgers are at like 98%, the Astros are at 96%, the Padres at 95%, and the Giants at 84%. And what's fascinating there is that you've got three NL teams in the top five. Not only do you have three NL teams in the top five, but those three NL teams are all in the same division. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy to me. And It it might be that one of those just by virtue of playing each other enough, gets bumped out of one of the wild card spots. I think it's unlikely, and so does fan graphs given the numbers, but it's possible. That Giants team, interestingly enough, that's the fourth highest playoff odds, just above the White Sox, and yet the White Sox, at 9% to win the World Series, have a better number there than the Giants do. I think that speaks to a handful of things. Fangraphs doesn't know, I mean, like this math, right, the, the projected playoff odds here, the algorithms that we're talking about, they don't know Aloy Jimenez or Luis Robert are coming back or not. They wouldn't know how many at-bats to schedule them for even if it did. Uh, they wouldn't know, of course, what kind of additions any one of these teams, these playoff contenders, may or may not make over the next couple of weeks. And of course, More injuries could be coming, and that's the part I I hate to even think about for any one of these clubs because they're so much fun to watch, Um, but those could be on the way as well. Now, I think when we talk about the trade deadline and what the White Sox need and what White Sox fans want to see brought into this ball club, I think the first thing that's got to be talked about isn't necessarily who's struggling and who's not, isn't necessarily what position you need and what position you don't. I think the first and maybe most important thing when I think about the trade deadline around the White Sox is okay, how's Aloy doing? How's Luis Robert doing? What do those rehabs look like? How how quickly do you think they can come back? And that's not to say that there shouldn't be an addition made, even if those reports come back great. You know, even if Rick Hahn and the rest of the front office are looking at those two guys, their rehab work and thinking there's a real chance they could come back and play, perhaps. There's a real chance that we could get them back for maybe even a meaningful run of baseball leading up to the playoffs. Maybe we could get them for a couple of weeks before things get really tight and before we're starting to talk about what your playoff matchup could be. That'd be fantastic. That'd be the best-case scenario. And in that best-case scenario, you may get them back... But may not know exactly how well they're able to play, how much how close to their, you know, typical production line they're able to put up. I think those are the things you you really have to think about. And the White Sox are are in a you know kind of a, a good problem to have situation, knowing that they've got those two talented guys perhaps able to come back, and that'd be a great thing to do. That'd be a great thing to add to the roster. But it's also something that you know, maybe makes just adding anybody you want. Um, it makes you think about it just once or twice. It makes you have to evaluate a couple of extra variables when it comes to the trading deadline. Want well, to know the th- sorts of things you're thinking? The White Sox get closer and closer, and rumors uh, grow bigger and bigger about what players could be headed where and who the White Sox may be interested in. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. We'll focus on potential additions when we come back. We might even play, who do you want the White Sox to add? We've got some rules for that. I'll lay them out when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox Mariners coming up this afternoon. It's a one ten start. Looks like the White Sox do expect to start on time. I know there's a little rain in the forecast, but uh, I think we'll get this one in here at Guaranteed Rate Field today. And that's a great thing because we're back to 100% capacity at the ballpark, which is absolutely awesome. Sox fans, pregame patio parties are starting July 16th. They're back They're starting July 16th. Treat your group of 20 or more to an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products starting 90 minutes prior to game time through 30 minutes after the scheduled start time. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com slash patio. I'll be honest, uh, I've, I've done that, but I've been lucky enough to do that before with a, a friend who had a group out there at the patio. It was an absolute blast. Two hours just hanging out there leading up to the game, and then a half an hour after the scheduled start time. Really good afternoon. Good way to take in a ball game, or at least start your ball game day. Uh, White Sox Mariners have Lance Lynn and Logan Gilbert starting this game. Gilbert, the uh, fourth best prospect in the Seattle system is ranked by MLB.com. He was uh, called up alongside Jared Kelnick earlier this season. Kelnick had since been set down, but he's raking with the Tacoma Rainiers right now. Um, matter of time, I think, before he comes back up. He's the fourth-best prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline and the Mariners' top, of course. Uh, Gilbert's managed to stay in there, pitch a little bit, talk about him somewhat later on in the show today. And, of course, uh, we'll deal with it in pregame as well, but you know, over the last couple of White Sox weeklies, I think it's uh, this will make week number three of playing one of our favorite games. Uh, who do you want the White Sox to go get? Right? Who do you think? Who do you want on the White Sox? Three one two three three two three seven seven six. I've got two rules for the uh, for the segment. I need a name from you. You can't just not just a position, not just a a skill set to add or a or a stat that you'd like to bolster some with the White Sox? Give me a name and a why. Those are the two things. We're going to talk about players you want on the White Sox squad. Who do you want? Give me a name specifically and why. And we'll talk about it as we go, 312-332-3776. But I think one of the names that Sox fans and that really the, the industry, the baseball punditry industry, has focused on has been Adam Frazier of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, We saw him just this last week. Two games. He hit out of the top of the Pirates lineup in both of them. He put up a couple of tough at-bats. He homered. He walked. He scored. He doubled. Those are the kind of things that Frazier can do for you. And I think he's been the most interesting, maybe the most talked-about potential trade target for the White Sox for a bunch of reasons. And I think one is... Maybe maybe the biggest one. It's not just what he can do at the plate for you, but it's also his own positional versatility. The fact that he can play second base and a little bit of outfield matters to me and maybe matters to a lot of people most. And I think when you know this White Sox front office really sinks its teeth into um, who they're going to add, what kind of targets they want to put up on the big board as, as we get closer and closer to making a move, around the trade deadline, I think that kind of positional versatility could be key. And and that's something that's come up a lot in baseball the last couple of years. Depth has been so important for teams as they make their runs into the playoffs. When you have a player that has more positions available to him on the defensive spectrum, that means that player provides more depth, right? I mean, if he's, if it's a one position guy, that means he's a one position guy if he's got a couple that he can handle and maybe even handle well that depth chart at that one particular position gets a little bit longer and with a limited roster size you know 26 and you know soon to be 28 here that helps even more with as many pitchers as teams carry now more positions per player on the on the positional side is a very good thing I think it doubles, maybe even more, when you start thinking about the potential of the White Sox adding back into the fold guys like Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Maybe they're they're ready to go and, and play the positions they normally have in in left and in center field. Maybe you uh, for either one, and, and you know we don't know yet. We're not at that point in the season where we've got a good sense of just exactly when they could be back. I mean, we don't even have minor league assignments ready for either one of those ballplayers, although it sounds like Aloy Jimenez will likely be the first to get sent out on a minor league rehab assignment, although there are still a couple of weeks, two at least, left for his return to baseball activities phase. Set out to the phone lines 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to chime in, hang out with us, talk a little White Sox, you're more than welcome. Uh, on the south side, it's Tracy. What's up, Tracy?
1: Hello. Hello. How you doing? Uh, I like to
2: do uh, the third baseline. The third baseline uh, I like to uh, watch... I'm, I'm a Big team manager. fan. You can't help but to be a Big team manager. Sure. So the closer I can see him turn a trying to double play, I might start a, uh, might start a triple play.
0: The closer I can get to TA, the better. And uh, uh, another thing I want to answer about uh, where's Yoma? I
3: have, I'm sorry?
0: I, I said, where's Yoma? How come the White House can't pick up Yoma?
3: Oh, Yolmer Sanchez, sure. Yes. Yeah, well, we, we actually, you know. Uh, he, he, he's not playing for nobody. Uh, Yolmer Sanchez is actually in the minors right now. He doesn't have a major league. And, Tracy, I appreciate the phone call. So, first and foremost, I, in case you missed it, uh, Tracy was saying her favorite seats here at the ballpark. That was Len Asks earlier today. Uh, He wanted to know where your favorite ideal price isn't an option seat choice here is at the ballpark. And Tracy was saying up the third base side because that's closer to Tim Anderson. And the more double plays you can watch Tim Anderson turn, uh, the better life goes. I I get that completely. Uh, Yolmer Sanchez, though, is signed or at least believe he is still signed in the Braves organization. He's at Gwinnett and playing there. It's been a little bit of a rough go with uh, Yolmer Sanchez and the bat so far this year at AAA Gwinnett, 190, 298, 267 across the board. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a guy the White Sox had been, you know, obviously had in the system even as late as last year. I would expect that if a player like that, you know, a guy who's had some major league time and maybe gets DFA'd from a franchise or taken off the 40 man some other way and, you know, was playing a little bit of the, the tweener role, a guy that had come up to the big leagues but mostly spent some time in AAA. If there was a guy like that that they could add to make sense and, and made sense, they probably would. That's exactly what happened to Brian Goodwin just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but the 40 man roster for the White Sox would take some, you know, take some moving some things around. Maybe there's a, a guy on the 10 that could go to the 60-day IL. That frees up a roster spot. But both Robert and Jimenez right now are on the 60-day, so I don't know that there's you know one guy that could move there real quickly and, and free up a, a spot on that 40-man roster. In New Lenox, it's Mike. Mike, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, my man? Mike! Hello, Mike. I think we lost Mike. Let's put Mike back on hold. See if we can reestablish contact with Mike and Lou Lennox. And if we can, we'll put him on. And if we can't, we'll just imagine uh, that the call was great and we had a lot of fun. Because I imagine we would have. We were talking a little bit uh, about the trade opportunities and options. Uh, things that are out there for the White Sox. And, and it's been, you know, it's it, the month of June has been an offensive struggle for the Sox. And I, I think it's... I think it's fairly evident as to why. You know, you've got some of the big bats who have, are going through a, a bit of a June swoon here, in Jose Abreu and Yoan Mancata and even, to a certain degree, Tim Anderson. We'll hear from Tim Anderson on what the team's been through in just a little bit, but I think our producer, uh, Tyler Aki, says Mike is actually right. Mike, let's uh, let's try and bring you back on White Sox Weekly. What's up, Mike?
0: Hey, how you doing?
3: Hanging in there, man.
0: I think they should get Chris Bryant.
3: Okay. How come?
0: They they. He can play the outfield, he could play third base, move Moncada to second base in a pinch.
3: So let me ask you, you this, Mike. And you
0: stick it to the Cubs, and you stick it to the Cubs fans and Cap.
3: Uh well, listen, everybody loves sticking it to Cap. That's a blast. Uh you do that once a week, you get to sell make yourself a happy month. Uh but Mike, let me ask you this. I like the idea of adding Chris Bryan as much as the next guy. But the question is around him or any other big time and pending free agent. Is are you, Mike, as a Sox fan, willing to give up some big-time names in order to bring in a player that may or may not be a White Sox in the year 2022 or forward?
0: No, I'm not willing to give up anybody, but I think the Cubs, when they take a dive here, they're going to be giving them up for pennies on a dollar because they're not going to get anything at the end of the year.
3: Yeah, yeah, but they're not going to do pennies on the dollar. I mean, it's it's not going to be just guys you've never heard of for Chris Bryant. They're not going to do that either. Nor, nor would really any team, appreciate the phone call, Mike, nor would really any squad for a, for a player of that name and value. I mean, if it, if it comes down to that, and it's a tough situation to be in, but if I'm a team that's got a player that good and a pending free agent and I I'm not ready to make a deal. I'm not ready to move at this point in his career and at this point in my team's window. I'm hanging on. I'm not I'm not spinning him off for you know a couple of minor league lottery tickets that are twenty two and playing double A ball or anything like that. That's not good enough, and I'd rather just hang on and see what happens. I know that's not a great position either, but I guess I just bring it up to say there isn't a situation where a front office is going to say, you know what, we tried our best, we failed miserably, you know, the Homer Simpson quote, so we'll just give up. There's just The, the front offices aren't comprised of, of people that make decisions that way. Nobody's going to say, well, we've put in seven years' hard work trying to put this team together the way we have. We've got this terrific ball player who's coming up on free agency. We'll just give him up. See if we can bring him back in free agency next season if we want to. There's going to be enough goodwill there after we trade him for absolutely nothing and then want to bring him back onto the roster and, and salve all of those uh, all those problems that are going to pop up, you know, personally after you deal with a player like that. I, it's not going to happen that way. Rob's on the road driving around. He's on White Sox Weekly now. What's up, Rob? Hey, what's going on, man? I like your idea
0: about Fraser. I agree with you one hundred percent on everything you said about that. I got a couple other things though.
3: Fire Without away. Without giving
0: up the ranch, and before we got to see what Berger can do. Maybe he can play second. If he can't, then you move on. The last piece of the puzzle is: it looks like we got a little bit of need in the bullpen. I think we can get Ian Kennedy for cheap as a good right-handed setup down in the seventh, eighth inning.
3: All right, appreciate you, my man. Good call, Rob. Yeah, so here's what's interesting about Jake Berger, and we'll talk about this some when we come back from break. We'll pick up a phone call from uh, Bobby in the Loop as well. Berger, as, as told by Wes Helms, who's the minor league uh, AAA manager for the Charlotte Knights, he's going to need, I don't know, something like 20, 20 more games at second base more to, to really start to feel comfortable. Berger at second base, not, not Wes Helms. Helms is a third baseman. If if Berger then gets to a point where he's starting to feel comfortable in and around second base, then that's a conversation that I think's interesting to have. But he's also kind of reacclimating himself with third. He's also reacclimating himself with competitive baseball, for that matter. I think Berger is a guy who is going to see, who who might just see big league time this season. Who's got as good a chance as anybody else in that minor league system, uh, position player wise to see some big league time. Now, whether that's with the White Sox or if he's you know part of a deal, I, I don't know. But I think he's getting close to being ready. I still don't think he's a guy who, you know, unless there was some situation that popped up at third base, God forbid, is going to come up and, and start trying things out at second base for the White Sox quite yet. But it's a difficult place to balance, right? There's still development left in that guy, specifically defensively. But because of the years he's missed injury-wise, you know he's, he's starting to get a little uh, older for his draft class, 2017, I think. It's an interesting, um, you know, kind of supply and demand curve to balance with Jake Berger. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk a little bit about Ian Kennedy when we come back. We'll take a phone call as well. It's White Sox. We, we're playing. Who do you want? You got to have a name and you got to have a why. Those are the two rules. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the phone number, Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Playing a little who do you want the White Sox to get? We got two rules. I need a name from you and a why. 312-332-3776. We'll talk with James Feagan of the Athletic at noon. Pre-game show at 12.30, White Sox and Mariners at one ten this afternoon. We're calling all high school baseball players. Tryouts for the 2022 White Sox Elite season are now open. This is your chance to join the White Sox family and learn from some of the best high school travel coaches in the Midwest. Tryouts are July 19th in Lyle. To learn more, visit whitesox.com slash play. Had a couple of phone calls ready to roll as we went to break, so we'll uh, pick those up now. Uh, Bobby in the loop. What's up, my man? Bobby. All right, let's put Bobby back on hold. I don't know what it is. We're uh, doing our best here. Three one two three three two three seven seven six is the phone number. Uh, we also had John in Tinley Park. John, you're on White Sox Weekly.
0: Yo, this is actually Bobby. Right. Before, you didn't go to me, but I'm, yeah, you just cut to me now.
3: All right. Apologies, Bobby. <laughs> Apologies all around. What's on your mind? Happy to have you.
0: Um, Yes. Um, How you doing, Connor? I'm doing well. Awesome. Now, check this out. I took my daughter to the game yesterday. She's 12 years old. Nice. We had a really good time, but you know what? It was terrible because... Oh, we were just watching the Mariners game, and the White Sox happened to be there, but it was really the Mariners game. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, anyways, I don't think they should trade anybody. And the reason I say this is because you're you, you're going to give away future assets, you know, future team-friendly deals mm-hmm. and young talent for, for, what, a right fielder, a bullpen guy, and, and you're still going to lose to Houston. You're still going to lose. To Boston or Tampa in the playoffs, it's pointless to get rid of our talented guys for 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 a a name here and there. That's probably not going to change the end result, which is probably not a World Series title this year.
3: Sometimes you. Why is it not a? Why is it probably not a World Series title this year? Because the
0: bullpen is not World Series worthy. The and bullpen's until, a top
3: four. The bullpen's a top four bullpen in baseball, and wins above. Is baseball. it really? Yep. I,
0: I, from what I see, I, I just I, maybe the numbers say that. From my eyes, because I follow the league too. I have. MLB oh, I CDs hear you. And I watch the league, and I, I just don't see. It, it's just my opinion. I, I just don't see them as a World Series bullpen right now. I, I think Foster's problematic. I think Hoyer is hot and cold. I think Crochet crochet is hot and cold. The only consistency we've had is maybe Crochet, but... Um, he's lately he's been cold, and, and Bummer has been uh, pretty good his last couple outings. But um, I think in big games, big moments against great hitting teams, I think the bullpen uh, is not good enough. I really don't think so. But Bobby, appreciate
3: um, you, my man. Thanks for yeah, calling in. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I'm don't mean to cut you off, but we're coming up to the break. We got James Feegan coming up from the Athletic in just a few. I'll ask him uh, about where this bullpen sits in his estimation. But I would tell you this: White Sox bullpen, top to bottom relative to the rest of the league which is you know who you play against it's pretty okay i i know it might not feel that way and when a game gets away from a bullpen ah, the the angst it ratchets i don't blame you at all but relative to the rest of the league they've had some solid performances out of it is it been the elite bullpen that it itself wanted to be in the 2021 season no Is it the one that the projections even had them slated to be? No, not quite yet. But I think you've got some arms to hope on in terms of rebound or or bounce back or really establishing themselves back to where they'd been in years before when it comes to guys like Aaron Bummer or even Garrett Crochet. But you've got to remember, too, two of the names that Bobby mentioned, Cody Hoyer and Garrett Crochet, they're still really young. Garrett Crochet was throwing a college hitters two years ago. And has had no minor league time whatsoever. I'm not surprised that there's been some adjustment time. 312 332 3776. That's the phone number. You want to keep that handy for when we're done talking with James Feegan after a quick break here. We are going to pause it right now. 10 seconds for station ID. <laughs> White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN One Thousand White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Pre-game show coming up at twelve thirty. First pitch scheduled for one ten here at Guaranteed Rate right Field between the Mariners and your White Sox. James feegan of the Athletic is our guest this afternoon on White Sox Weekly. You can follow him on Twitter at James feegan He's a wonderful human being, and he covers the White Sox pretty darn well. Hi, James. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Are you playing like two truths and a lie, like right now with the listeners? <laughs> Did I get the Twitter handle wrong? Because that's that's the only thing I might have lied about.
2: I, the wonderful human being thing was driving me
3: off. Well, I I find you at least at least a human being, and at most times wonderful. And uh, it's absolutely true that I appreciate you hanging out on White Sox Weekly. I, I wanted to ask, and, and this is mostly because uh, we had Bobby call the show a little earlier, expressing some dismay about the White Sox bullpen. Bobby's a little bit of an avatar. For White Sox fans, really baseball fans, I was looking at the wins above replacement for the White Sox bullpen. It is at 3.2. That's the third highest total in Major League Baseball. And yet, there have been some disappointing performances from some big-time arms in the pen. How do you, at this point, James, evaluate the White Sox bullpen?
2: I think it's a primary area for them to target adding to at the trade deadline. Um, and not just because I think it's actually where they can afford to uh, add without stripping away major pieces of their farm system or you know even their young core. Um, yeah, I, I think right-handed relief. You know, if you if you mapped out the season and spring training, uh, you're thinking like, all right. Um, Michael Kovac's going to have this hybrid role, uh, but really our late-inning arms are, you know, our setup guys. our top one is Aaron Bummer, uh, yeah, Evan Marshall. Um, but last season, you relied heavily on uh, Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster being a big part of that. I think, um, and, and talking to about it, since he made a mechanical change in midday, that, you know, Evan Marshall's been, you know, pretty reliable and, and certainly they're not at a point where they're not trusting Aaron Bummer with the eighth inning, even though there's been, you know, blips uh, here and there. Uh, and he, he dealt with control problems in the first month, but I would say right now, um, you know, Foster's kind of uh, been working a low leverage work and, and, and kind of continue to struggle uh, recent, and you know, everybody raised on Cody Horn and stuff, and I feel uh, like him a lot long-term. It, it's kind of hard to deny that the results have been kind of inconsistent, so um, as far as, like, yes, the overall value of the bullpen kind of reflects the talent, and it also reflects the great season that, you know, Liam Hendricks was having, but as far as Feeling perfectly secure, um, you know, to go deep into the playoffs where you're going play a lot of one one games, especially with the offense currently um, going through a downturn, um, it, it's an area where you you want probably another reliable right-handed setup man. So uh, I, I don't think I don't think uh, Bobby or the uh, Bobby devotees out there are are drawing on something that's not real. I, I think that's definitely. Um, Something where they need more high leverage help, and uh, you know, probably an area I really expect them to target because that's something you always can find and usually afford uh, for pieces in your farm system at the deadline.
3: Yeah, I mean, no team has ever said we have plenty of pitching, we're good, we don't need any more. Thanks so much, especially at a deadline. When when you look at Garrett Crochet's season, do you look at him as a lefty who needs to face more lefties at this point? Last year, he could you know he's bone it by everybody. It didn't matter what hand or both you were using. To go up to the plate. So I, I wonder if that changes or if his performance has changed your, um, you know, your, your kind of stated preference for a little bit of right handed relief help.
2: I don't think he's like a Lukey or anything. Uh, and I don't think, uh, you know, obviously you can't really use anyone that way anymore. And I don't think it's like not civic, but he's just not. Um, I would probably hunt for those matches a little bit. And I would probably. You know, hunt just the, the sense that you just have um crochet and you have bummer and you have uh you know chase Fryery having the minors. Uh, I, I think that's just generally where you would lean. You want somebody who really can see distinct advantages against tough right handed hitters because you already um, you're not weak in that area as far as lefties. So it's not so much like oh, care crochet can't say to righty or anything like that, but if you're going to make an addition, I think that's the shape of uh what you kind of hunt for because you know. If it's if it's about you know getting Eddie Rosario out in a crucial situation or turning uh, Jose Ramirez around in a late series, like you already kind of have the tools to do that. So once you're talking about adding, I, I think you would get specific towards being right-handed.
3: Are you focused on the bullpen as a place to add for the White Sox because there are hopes that Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert both could be back this season, or is it more because outfielders are more expensive than arms at this point? Um,
2: I would say the latter. And that's that's probably what's really driving it for me is just that like, if people want to talk about like, you know, uh, you know, Joey Gallo, or Kettle Marte, um, you know, kind of core pieces or guys who could be starting, you know, corner outfield bat, middle order, or not just this year but maybe next year. That's going to be um, that's where you're talking about kind of core pieces of they're contributing to the current team. Like, there's not really this like, you know, not that I'm not, but fan or optimistic about guys like you know Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dalquist, uh, you know, even Jerry Kelly when he kind of gets back and throwing again. Uh, but those are not kind of like centerpieces of like major field, uh, the way that you know, I, I think teams on that caliber player are asking for Andrew Vaughn and, and Michael Kopek. And at that point, you're both asking like, well, aren't those kind of future centerpieces of future teams? And also – well, who feels the role they're currently serving on this team, as, as you know, really being big parts of why they're contending, uh, especially since you kind of expect Andrew Vaughn to continue hitting better as the season goes along. So that's where I'm just seeing it being a bit more tricky to see how they really make that work. And you know, you can always kind of find pieces to afford to add the bullpen arm. So I, I think it's something that's very doable, and uh, you know, they, they should do. They, they have a need.
3: Talking with a White Sox reporter James Feegan of The Athletic here on White Sox Weekly, I, I guess that's kind of the next natural place to go is there are a handful of, and probably even more than that, there are White Sox fans who say, "The hell with it, go win the World Series, make a big move. And while I think Kopech is likely, you know, there, there are no untouchables in baseball, you know, that whole axiom, but Kopeck's probably likely as, as close to that as it gets, there are some Sox fans who would be happy uh, to move either one of those vaughn or crochet type names for a big time established ball player do you get the sense that there's any willingness or conversation around those guys
2: um not intensely like i, I guess the i feel like um for all of those I would probably feel like they're kind of dealing with low value in the sense of like Crochet is like, uh, you know, this has not been quite what he was last year and the you know, velocity sticked out a little bit. You know, Michael Kopech, you're obviously, I mean, for him, he's almost like a cost saving measure in terms of next year. They expect him to slide into a rotation spot and, you know, not cost the free agency prices that you're talking about, Lance Lane or Carlos Rodon uh, necessarily costing. So that's, um, you know, part of keeping. The core together or whatever budget that they're given, I think Kopetz a big part of that, and I think Bonds that's a really big part of that, as opposed to like you know replacing him with another corner bat on the market or something like that. So that's where it gets hard for me. It maybe I could see more movement crochet, where it's a little bit uncertain what he's going to be going forward. If he's going to really you know shift towards the rotation like they talked about, or uh, you know if some of the view about the feasibility of that has gone down, maybe it makes more sense to, to move that. But I, I think those guys are a big part of. What they might think makes this team sustainable going forward. In addition to the fact that you're stripping away what their current role is, like you know, having Michael Kopech just kind of dominate every like, you know, doubleheader was uh, a really big part of why they are very effective at run prevention for the first few months. And you know, when we're talking about them adding right-handed relief or you know, adding length in bullpen games, you know, you just think about Game Three if you had Michael Kopech uh, from the playoffs last year, able to like, eat three or four innings in the middle of there. That that changes the whole picture. So. I, I, I really don't think you can minimize just how big they are of this current team on top of you know the fact that they're probably saving the team a lot of money uh, on the industry going forward.
3: James, when you take an eye, put an eye on Yasmani Grandal's slash line of 175, 385, and 419, how do you put it in perspective for yourself and for your readers?
2: I think it's the most
3: gorgeous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I do
2: too. It's beautiful. <laughs> I I view it as kind of like free and post-June, I guess, a little bit. Like, the, the first part of the season is essentially Brandal doing something extremely bizarre, but like very admirable to counter the effects of the the spring knee injury that, you know, if whenever he talked, he kind of gave a pretty strong hint was going to be eliminated him. And I I don't know if it was, like, the first night after he hit, like, two homers or something like that, but we kind of asked him about it, and he's like, yeah, I'm able to plant and leverage and shift my weight on that thing again, and now I'm I'm swinging the way it is. So you have, like, a couple months of him just kind of taking walks and turning, like, the strikes on discipline to the max because he was just not swinging. He's not as aggressive because he didn't feel quite as good, you know, shifting his balance. And now you have him looking like Yasmani Grandal, you know, if anything, maybe as good, and productive as we've seen him in a White Sox uniform because that, that he is really feeling good. And, you know, this is probably more the hitter we expect going forward, you know, obviously with some more cold streaks mixed in because, you know, that's what happens in baseball. But um, I just viewed the first couple of months is like, this was a really interesting way this guy adapted and probably a way that no one else in the league could really adapt to uh, having to sort of uh, injury. The fact that he made himself productive is just, just kind of crazy.
3: I was reading around in a couple of different uh, you know, smart spots in baseball, places like the Athletic and BP, and we're all looking at the spin rates drop precipitously around the game. Uh, the sticky stuff has been banned. Pants have been removed from pitchers. It, everything has been checked. It's, it's been a thing. How do you, how do you see this going forward? Are, are there more revolutions to be lost on guys' fastballs all around baseball?
2: Uh I guess it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, maybe we haven't even seen at this point a full rotation of uh, uh, of guys uh, really go through their first starts and what adjustments they're going to do. But um, I, I think it's going to vary. Um, you know, right now the crackdown is aimed towards guys who are using like heavy duty stuff that's just boosting their their fastballs from um, just truly unexceptional or maybe not even like good enough to get to the majors towards like being plus. But we're going to see a lot of guys with the kind of universal ban on any substance who have been using, you know, kind of lower stuff or, or stuff like sunscreen for stability or giving themselves a little bit, dropping in ways that are noticeable or ways that stick out from their previous record, but doesn't necessarily completely change who they are as pitchers. And um, it's it's kind of weird to cover it because you know these are guys who are basically performing on what was the accepted landscape, and now. Uh, things are changing on them, and yeah, they're adjusting to the rules. But um, are they going to be looked at uh, as their previous work was illegitimate, um, or is they going to be seen as you know they were cheating when it was just how 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 is it cheating when you know this is a rule that's just literally never enforced? Uh, so I think everyone's kind of in favor of bringing in the the most prominent bad actors or, or people who are just completely like blatant about it, but. Uh, we're basically seeing everybody kind of curb to this level that maybe no one was really operating on or very few guys are really operating on. And yeah, I, I think we're watching really closely in the next couple of months about like, you know, who becomes a different pitcher who maybe works just a little bit differently, but it's still ultimately effective. I think, you know, ultimately these guys are, are here because they're highly talented. So we'll probably see some guys make minor adjustments or, you know, become a bit more diverse in their your pitch usage in a way to adjust. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, I guess my rambling nature here just shows it's not like one easy answer about how things are going to go.
3: Well, it's it's interesting because the answer kind of led us to where where we were headed here. I wanted to ask, if you were in charge of the situation, in charge of this particular call in baseball, not the whole league, but would you have started this enforced policy before the season, when the league did, at the All-Star break, or, or after the season, or or some other format, I guess?
2: Um, I would have started, you know, in the off season. you know, have the whole spring training be about briefing people about the rules and how it's going to be enforced and, um, uh, you know, how, how it's going to be put in place and, you know, even prepare your training as much as you can with this in mind. Uh, that would be ideal. It seems like the way they got to where they're at was that they thought, you know, the shot across the bow of, we're going to be taking balls to study. Uh, we're going to be monitoring this with, you know, have the effect that these checks are having, where you're seeing, you know, everyone kind of go oh, cold turkey, But that didn't seem to really happen at all, and that's kind of how you got to the situation. But if we're talking about what would be ideal, you know, not just like giving people an offseason to prepare, but you know, doing what players are telling you, they're, you know, identifying some of the root causes that lead people here. Like players tell you that the ball isn't tacky, but that you know the ball in Japan is. Why don't we do that? You know, that'd be something to look into and develop. So. Uh, players tell you we need a something, we need some sort of substance beyond rosin, which doesn't work in cold weather, it doesn't work when it's not perspiration, you know, that's reason to dive into a universal substance of some kind. that's not performance enhancing that, you know, people can, can find. Like, the fact that they haven't kind of done this, the work to address what kind of drove people here in the first place. I think is what really feels like fly by night to players is that this is being like plopped on. Like the idea that like players didn't respond sufficiently to, you know, the monitoring or the, the studies being fact. Like yeah, that's legitimate. That's legitimate critique. They had to respond to do something because obviously offense has been just you know two all year. No hitters are piling up, and you, you get why they kind of reacted the way they reacted. But um, the root causes are still with just not being addressed.
3: James, appreciate you as always. Love reading your stuff, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at James Fegan um, on Twitter. I've said Twitter a lot here in this interview, and I regret the frequency of it. But you should follow James. Thanks, man.
2: All right, thanks for having me.
3: You got it, James Fegan of the Athletic. Go follow him on that website where you tweet 140 characters or so. White Sox and Mariners coming up in a little bit. I, I think you know some of the things James said uh, about where we're at as a as a game, as an enforcement policy when it comes to the sticky stuff is right on. You know, the the timing of this policy and the enforcement of it, the way it's caused, you know, just a whole kind of, man, just ringing around baseball. And especially when it comes to the, you know, the, the public displays of disapproval uh, about the emplacement of this policy, the when of this policy are pretty wild to have watched, especially when we're talking about some of the, you know, the brightest stars of the game, like Max Scherzer uh, just doing what he did the first time, second time. Third time getting checked while he was against the Phillies. It's some crazy stuff. Did we need to go through it all? No, maybe not. Could it have been in place a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. Is the policy necessary? I think it may have been. I think it absolutely may have been. We'll talk more about the White Sox and here, a little bit, rather, from Tim Anderson when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. School is out for the summer, so now's the time to bring your family of four to a White Sox game with a family four-pack. It starts at $59. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash four-packs. Just got done talking with James Feagan of the Athletic Quality Sox Conversation with him, as always. Uh, You can check out the podcast of this and every White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN Chicago app. Just download the app. All of our podcasts are available. Just scroll down to the White Sox Weekly page. You can listen to every show, every interview, every second of White Sox Weekly uh, from here until eternity on the ESPN Chicago app. It's awesome. Head out to the phone lines now before we uh, get ready for the pregame show in Park Ridge. It's Joe. What's up, Joe? Hey, Connor. How's it going, man? It's going well. So I'm thinking my trade target for Rick Hahn, I'm thinking Eduardo
0: Escobar on the Diamondbacks. I think um, with how far out of the NL West that the Diamondbacks are and Escobar being on the last year of a, I think I think he's getting paid $7.5 million this year. I think that the Sox could honestly get him for pretty cheap, maybe even cash consideration, probably no more than a low-ranking prospect or two. And I think that helps at, at second base. I think then we can use Lurie in the outfield where we probably need him
3: more and kind of keep Mendick more so as a utility guy versus an everyday guy. Joe, good call, my man. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I got Eduardo Escobar for seven and the hook, $7.5 million. He is a pending free agent. This season, Eduardo Escobar for the Diamondbacks is hitting two forty five. The 291 on base and a 465 slugging. Uh, there had been rumors connecting the White Sox and Diamondbacks in that Eduardo Escobar conversation. A tweet or two from uh, Bob Nightingale, I think, and others to be sure. Um, but Escobar is a guy that makes some sense, so I wasn't surprised to see those tweets out there. Yeah, it, it was USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Um, Eduardo Escobar is intriguing for me, to me, for one particular reason, and that's pop. The guy has uh, 16 home runs on the season, 46 driven in, 10 doubles. RBIs are a function of lineup, right? So maybe it could have been even more if the Diamondbacks had not been the Diamondbacks this year. They are abjectly terrible. Um, he's not a guy who walks a lot. He's a guy who swings often, 67 strikeouts, 19 walks, the on base is 291. If you want a bat in the lineup that can get loose, maybe get over the fence every now and again or more often than uh, the, the White Sox... Options at second base right now, Eduardo makes some sense. I get that. I do think the price on Escobar could be pretty low as well, which maybe allows you to make one move now or a move soon-ish, like Escobar, and then perhaps a bigger-ish move, whether that's a bullpen or an outfield or or, or something else, maybe even a guy who's a combo player there. Hey, White Sox fans, um, if you haven't checked out The new podcast with UnCasper and Jason Benetti. You should. It's called Socks Degrees. They got great guests all season long. Some of them close to the team and some six degrees away. New episodes drop every Monday to listen and follow. Subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify. I've listened to uh, a handful of them. Working through the uh, Bob Odenkirk one. That one's been a blast so far. And uh, in case you're just getting into the whole podcast, Rick Hahn was their first guest. And he was awesome. It's also, White Sox fans, your last chance to lock in a ticket package for the 2021 season. The best way to get postseason priority, flexible payment plans, and savings on single game prices for the biggest matchups to come. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much to Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, for joining us. And thanks to James Fegan of The Athletic. He was our guest as well. Again, you can download every episode on the ESPN Chicago app in case you missed any of it or want to revisit it or want to send some to your friends. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski, Tyler Aki, and Ryan McGuire. The White Sox pregame show starts in just a few. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.